Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. This thing has saved my life. It's reintegrated me with my community. It's reintegrated me, you know, with my ability to to empathize and listen. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's gotten me out of my own head. And, you know, if I'm experiencing that as the guy running the show, the people that are listening to it are experiencing that as well. You know, like hundreds and hundreds of people um, really get some sort of nourishment for their soul and mind and heart from, from what I'm doing with, the, with my guests. And, and I am incredibly grateful that I can offer that. That's Mark Marin talking about his enormously popular podcast, WTF. Mark has an uncanny ability to bring out the real person in each of his guests. No matter how well we think we know them, we learn something new about them. I was really curious to know how he does it. Mark, thank you for being on the show. I got to tell you, when I heard your interview with Barack Obama, I was stunned. I had never heard him be so authentic, so relaxed, so apparently truly himself and i thought what what is this magic that mark Marin was able to do what 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 do you think contributed to that i i don't uh, i it's hard for me to uh to know exactly why i'm able to to lock in with people and and allow them to uh to be that candid uh i i i do listen very intently i do have a, i think an innate uh urge within me to connect with people in an authentic and, uh, and, and emotional way that probably goes back to my childhood. But I, I, I and also, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, I, I try to meet people halfway with, with where, where they're coming from in terms of my own problems. And, and also there's a certain amount of, I think, courage involved in, uh, in, in showing up for, for conversations. When you started the podcast, you started with nothing I read. You were sneaking into a studio because you you still had the key. Well, I would I was st- I, stealing time in the studio. Kinda, yeah. I mean, I, we were. I was working. I, I had several, you know, on air jobs at uh, at at Air America, which was the liberal 
talk radio network. And the last, and they, I was fired from there a couple of times. And the last uh, iteration of 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 a job I had was a streaming video show, and it was the last sort of uh, the last gasp of Air America. But but I had you know a year contract on this thing, and then the year came up, and they you know they they stopped the show, but we still had our offices. They were good liberals. They didn't throw us out of the building. And they had radio studios there. So me and my producer were like, well, can we figure out how to do these podcasts? Let's get some stuff in the can. And, you know, we knew the guy who was, you know, the night tech, you know, we had security cards, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, on off hours, we would go in and record, you know, and my producer knew how to do everything. And we'd bring guests up sometimes on the freight elevator. We'd walk them in from the street and we did all kinds That's of great. Yeah. So it was just, uh, you know, it wasn't anything criminal. It was just, you know, we're, we, we got to do this. That probably gave it a sense of life it wouldn't have had, you know, even even on your part. Well, yeah, it was exciting, but, you know, it was we didn't know what the show was going to be. And, you know, the first, I probably 11 or 12 were done there. And then I moved back to L.A. and I you know, went out into my garage, which was being used basically as a storage bin at that time. I set up a table. I set up my computer. I got really good mics, but I didn't have the, the booms for them. I just stuck them on little podium stands. Like the mic you have, I use those too right there, the SM7. You know, I just stick that on a table stand, which is not what it's for, but but that's what I did. Yeah. How did you arrive at the title WTF? I mean, I under, I, I know what it means, but wh why did you use it? Well, I, I don't know. Initially, when we started the show, it, it seemed to me that my premise was, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the great philosophical question used to be what is the meaning of life but now i think it's you know wtf so what the the idea was it would be you know an an umbrella sort of uh you know idea for a lot of different things that could happen on the show it was a philosophical drive but you know it kind of it didn't really hold but we didn't change it because we'd already done the art for the show we'd already named the show we'd put the you know <laughs> it's like sneaking into the studio you make do make make do with what you have yeah i mean we haven't changed the logo of the show since we started and it's this weird old picture graphic of me with a beard and long hair and different glasses and uh you, you know but we haven't you know it was just it just stuck it was just what it is you know does doing an interview in a garage, do you think that adds an element that puts people at ease? I, th I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, seems less formal, more homey. No, definitely. I, I think that all the interviews that I did in that garage and now continuing into this new environment that I'm in now, you know, when people have to walk through your life, you know, to get to where you're mm. going to talk, it, it does, you know, <laughs> create, you know, I had one bathroom in that old house, you know, and, uh, so if 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 anyone need to use the restroom, that you know that they see my stuff in the bathroom. I got two bedrooms in that place. They got to if they want something to eat or they want a water or a coffee. I got to stand there and make it for them in my kitchen. And then we went out to that garage, which was cluttered with the my entire life's worth of stuff, and it was a lot. But it it definitely was an environment. It was definitely a disarming environment. And, uh, yeah. and, and but I but I also think. Because now that I've changed garages and, and I'm not, this one isn't as cluttered yet and it seems a little more professionally set up, I'm finding that, because I put a lot of uh, faith in that. I, I thought that the the myth of my old garage, like what am I going to do without that garage? How am I going to do my show? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that that all the magic was in the garage. But to, to tell you the truth, in this new garage, which is not as cluttered and it, which is a little more focused in terms of the um, recording environment, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people longer, uh, I'm more focused. I think they're more focused and... I, I really wondered when I saw you, you'd got Barack Obama on the show. Yeah. 
How do you ask the president of the United States to come to your garage and do a podcast? Who do you who do you call? He asked us. What? Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. What happened was uh, some of his staffers, I think, were fans. And, you know, the, a year before it happened, there was talk of it happening, you know, that they thought it would be a fun, a good thing for him to do, a fun thing for him to do. So I had fans in the White House. And then it started to sort of come together. You know, they were like, I think we're, we think this is going to happen. And I was I talked to my producer. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Do, do we do I go to Washington? How do we do this? I mean, this is kind of, you know, a big deal. And uh, he said, no, they want to come to the garage. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. The president. (laughs) I love that, that they wanted to come to the garage. Did they, why did you suppose his, his aides knew that that would have some effect on, on the interview? That they wanted to slip him into your conventional interview style. Well, I think that was what they were looking for. You know, it's it's not a political interview, and you know, I you know, no, once, I know. once I got out of uh, political talk radio, I, I really sort of made a, a promise to myself that I wouldn't, you know, engage in in that. That I thought that the the issues that affected us most were deeper. That they were existential issues, and they were p- things that people, you know, sort of all struggle with. And but uh, you know, you know, I dis- I wanted to be disconnected from the political dialogue, and we honored that. So I, I think coming into it, the idea was, you know, at that time it was his last year in office, and you know he was trying to reinvigorate, uh, you know, interest in 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 politics, and you know he was dealing with some things that we had to talk about at the beginning of that interview, a shooting and and some Supreme Court stuff, but. Um, but ultimately, I think they they just wanted him to to kind of reengage with the public in in a unique way, uh, so you know he wouldn't be seen as a, a lame duck at that point in in, in in his presidency. And he did do a lot of things shortly after that interview, you know. So it was just sort of a, it was almost a reintroduction uh, of uh, President Obama to the public in a way. That's how I felt when I heard it. I felt I was hearing a side of him for the first time. It was the same person who sang Amazing Grace uh-huh. yeah. in, in the church. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real person. Yeah. And, and everybody has to take on a persona when they become a politician. Yeah. But this was what was behind that mask. Yeah, I think I felt that. I was very happy to feel that. You know, Barack Obama aside, you know, my structure is 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 kind of fluid. I don't I don't really put the, I don't write down a lot of questions. I don't have a list of questions. I'm really you know relying on the conversation to take off on its own. Yeah, that's what I do, by the way. And I talked with people who interview other people a lot, and they see a difference between what they get out of the other person when they do that. What you just described. And on, on the uh, the other side of it, what they, what happens when they read a list of questions? Because you're you're wedded to the questions instead of to the answers, which is kind of backwards. What do you do when somebody comes in with a list of answers that they want to give, regardless of what your questions are? Yeah, that happens. It happens with fans of the show who sort of produce their own version. Yeah, you know, they they've got a pretty good idea what happens here, so they're going to do it the way 
they you know they assume they they should do it and yeah and they basically produce the show in their heads <laughs> yeah. before they get here so what how do you handle that well you kind of wait it out you you know and and you, you try to get them off the eventually it becomes everyone especially public personalities they have a a public script and you know i can feel when it's happening and sometimes you, you just got to find a, a window to get around it or or bring something else up or talk about something else so they get off of that, you, you, you know, just hopefully something will come up. And, you know, usually I'm pretty good at sensing where it is and, and pursuing those things. Uh, and, and I can get around it. I, I get the impression from things I've heard and read about you that sometimes you're able to get very close to somebody you never knew before the conversation started. So there must be something about that conversation that opens the door in people. I think most of us. You know, given the opportunity to be open and candid and not really be responsible in some ways for the relationship afterwards uh, is is it's an odd but real thing. I think that if somebody comes in who I don't know and for an hour I'm attentive and I'm curious and, uh, you know, I want to connect with them emotionally. I mean, there's less to lose in doing that than than there is in, in an intimate relationship that goes on, you know, for months or years or days or whatever. You know, this is a one shot deal. We're going to connect. And uh, there, there's no there's nothing invested in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, it's an it's a really interesting experience to me because I've. You know, I, on the science program I did, I interviewed hundreds of scientists. Yeah. Uh, and it was about their work. It, but I, I, I hoped that the real person would come out, even though we didn't get into feelings much. But, we, but the, they were very authentic. And I would often see the real person emerge in the same way that I saw Obama emerge in your right. conversation with him. Because it was an effort to connect. Right. And and this this connection that you consciously go for, it seems to me to be part of the essence of good communication. And, you know, we, on this show that I do, we talk a lot about communication and relating mm-hmm. and how, how, you, how you can do it, how you can do it better because we all need to do it better. For instance, now here's a question I had thinking about you before I came in to the microphone. Uh-huh. I wondered, because you're so good during that hour of connecting with the other person in a conversation in front of the microphone. Is that what happens at home? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you just need to do it an hour at a time. Well, that's right. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've talked about that before. I think that my, you know, my, the, the sort of, you know, I, I'm in recovery, which is, you know, a part of my story. And, and the, you know, there is. Can do you mind if I ask recovery from what? Yeah, I, I, I'm in AA. You know, I've been sober mm. and drug-free for, you know, close to 19 years. And there's something about the, the premise of that program, which is, you know, uh, like, and, and, I, and I, you know, I don't represent the program, but, you know, when you talk to somebody else about them, you get out of your own problems. You get out of your own head. You show up for somebody else. That's time you're not spending obsessing about you. And that yeah. is very cathartic and it's a and it's an important, you know, tool of, of the program and also of communication and and of of uh of 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 just uh you know the soul you, you, here, here's what I think the fundamental thing is, and in addressing, you know, do I do that at home in my own relationship? No, I'm kind of a, a, you know, when you get comfortable with somebody, 
you know, all your idiosyncrasies come out, all your petty little defensivenesses, uh, you know, the, the elements of you that are defensive or guarded or anxious. And a lot of times when you're in an interpersonal relationship for a long time, you kind of break into patterns that, you know, maybe were there when you were a kid or maybe, you know, were in service when you were a kid. But, but a repetition of emotional patterns, you know, unfold in long-term relationships. And, the, and, and it's sort of that's what holds them together a lot of times is predictability. Whereas, so do you ever say, pardon me for interrupting, do, but do you ever think, I, I just had a moment where I didn't really connect with her. She asked me something and I gave her a terse answer because I'm busy thinking about this other thing and I'm entitled to think about what I'm thinking about. And then did, does it ever cross your mind? A moment like that maybe could be a little better if I did with her just now what I do with strangers in front right. of the microphone. Yeah, I, I mean, that, yeah, they, yeah, that does happen, you, you know. But a lot of times, and I, and I think you know too. I, I, I think that's helpful. I, I do think her and I are are working on communicating better, you know, all the time. But, but I, I think, you know, also. Uh, By the you, way, I know exactly what you're talking about because I do the same thing. Sure, you, you're just Did sitting you? there. You're thinking about your own thing. You're barely listening, and they're saying, you know, hello, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> hi. Uh, well, uh, I think I heard part of that. Yeah, go ahead, give it to me again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but those kind of those kind of things happen. That's I, I think that's an almost um, that's a, a, an almost hackneyed trope of of a personal relationship of a, you know that you, that the the sort of non listening male. Or, or or female, you know, who you know, you just checked out and you got to recheck in, and and it's hard to it's hard to listen sometimes. But I I don't I I I'm very focused about it when I'm in the studio or when I'm talking to you know usually complete strangers. You know, with audio, you know, th there's a there there's a distinct quality to it that is very visceral and and it's completely connected to your experience of hearing somebody else. You can feel who they are emotionally through their through their 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 tone of voice and through how they're uh, you know coming across, uh, and and that's that's really the reward of of doing this is that if if I if I'm doing something with communication, it's really to 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 try to reveal someone's. Uh, you know, authenticity as best that they can handle and, and, and what they're willing to do in, in just in conversation. Because you, you, you can't hide, you know, after a, a half hour, 40 minutes in front of a mic, really. Because if you're hiding, that becomes part of who you are. I talk a lot and put a lot of stock in reading the other person. And it sounds like what you do, too. I mean, you're talking about the tone of voice. You're are you watching their face? Are you are you seeing how guarded they are, and what or what they don't want to get into, or or whether or not they're actually connected to you as you, yeah, as you ask them whatever's on your mind? Yeah, no, I can definitely feel that. You, you know, I I I don't know if I'm a great if I'm a great reader of people, but I can feel you know once the conversation starts, I can emotionally sort of feel where there's tension and where there's, you know, where I need to pull back or, 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 or let emotions happen or keep pursuing something. I don't always know when they sit down. I, I'm not, I, I don't know that I'm a tremendous judge of character because I make assumptions about people. And most of the mm -hmm. time I'm wrong. It's not that they're negative assumptions or anything other than how I visualize someone to be. Uh, and, and usually I'm surprised. And I, that's part of the, the beauty of conversation is that, I think we all make assumptions. We all judge to a certain degree, prejudge. But if you sit down and really talk to somebody, you, you, you know, you realize that 
whatever you're thinking before was some relationship you had in your head, it had no bearing on reality. And as the real person reveals themselves, it's much more nuanced and it's it's you know, it's deeper and 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 usually a, a, a broader sort of palette of emotions. It's just interesting what happens in conversation. You know what you remind me of is in just what you were talking about. I'm often at a dinner table with someone next to me who I never met before. You know, sometimes there are 12 people around a table. Yeah. And there's that awful moment where both of you think, how am I going to start up a conversation with this person? I barely know their name. Yeah. And the, the only real conversations that take place that last through the whole dinner have the elements you were just describing where you, you hear what they're saying and you seize on anything that represents them. Right. And want to know more. Right. Yeah. People. But you have to kind of want to know more. Right. Yeah. People, people like, I, I, you know, most people love to talk about themselves and, uh, you know, they, they may not know it. But uh, it's certainly something they know how to do, or they know uh, they they know the subject matter to a certain degree. But sometimes I, I I I go right to the heart of it because I want to get them to talk about something they really care about. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I say, "What are you passionate about? Uh-huh. What's your passion?" Yeah, and and they'll sometimes think for a few seconds and then tell me about how they help sick children or yeah. Something real to them and important. Only one time somebody paused for a while and then finally said, well, I like golf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought, this is going to be hard. (laughs) Wow. Were you talking to our president? Mark's ability to listen and to connect has helped him as an actor. And it's also had a beneficial effect on his podcast audience, just listening to conversations between Mark and his guests. The mysterious power of listening when we come back. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. This is Clear and Vivid. And now back to my conversation with Mark Marin. Do you have a, a way of vetting the people you want to talk to, or are you, are you willing to talk to pretty much anybody? No, I mean, I got to be interested. There's got to be an angle. You, you know, I mean, I get pitched to a lot of people whose work I just don't know. And, and, and if I feel like I should know it, then maybe I can get up to speed and wrap yeah. my brain around it. But, you know, but I'm that's a fi- an interesting thing you said that you have to be interested in talking to them, you have to want to know stuff. Yeah. About them or from them. Right. Yeah. I mean, or that's how that I they, feel. Or think that they would be interesting to me. Right. You, you yeah. know, like even if I don't understand what they do or I don't know what they do, maybe I need to learn about what they do and maybe it would be good to engage with them. I didn't realize, for instance, about you. I knew you had another show. Yeah. Called Glow. Yeah. And I hadn't had a chance to look at it. And I looked at it 
I, I guess it was the first scene of the first episode. You were wonderful. Oh, thanks, buddy. I was, I just thought you played that guy. To me, he's a kind of Archie Bunker of the Me Too era. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, uh, you know, you, he says outrageous things and he behaves outrageously. Yeah. He's, he's definitely the, a man of his time. Yeah. And the other people in the show respond to him the way we, the way I would respond to him. I mean, you he, he, like Archie Bunker, he's put into context. He's not, it's not like he's a model of behavior. No, no. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, he's an example of a, a, a probably a very familiar type of man that existed then and still exists. And, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, it was an interesting opportunity to be that guy in the middle of a cast of 14 women. Uh, so it's, it's, it's sort of the cranky coach character who seems a bit insensitive and uh, self-involved and, and uh, slightly, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if he's misogynistic, but he's certainly sexist. So, uh, so the, the sort of back and forth is, is exciting. It's good. So, so you clearly are more self-reflective. You have standards about how you treat other people. I get asked a question like this a lot when I play a villain. Did, did you find any difficulty in being that guy? Well, look, I mean, I, I don't claim to have been a perfect man my whole life. And, you know, certainly, you know, I feel like I've evolved and, and certainly, you know, as I've grown up and, and gone through two marriages and, and dealt with my own problems, uh, there was a resource of, of uh, emotional, uh, you know, badness that I could draw from. You, you, you know, I, I had to learn empathy in a lot of ways, Alan. I mean, you know, part of what happened in the journey of this podcast was that, you know, I, I found I had to reconnect with that part of me that was always looking to other people for, for some sort of guidance and emotional connection and, and love. And, you know, I'd gotten very cynical over the years and, and, you know, starting the podcast, you know, reengaging with my ability to be moved by other people was a profound lesson to me and, and a necessary one, you know, cause I sort of, gotten a little bit sour, a little cynical, a little bitter. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, for me to go back into those areas of my life, which, uh, you know, would have been more similar to that character, uh, mm. was, was, it was good that I had distance from it, but it wasn't too far away. So, you know, it, it wasn't that difficult, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not that guy. No, no, no. But the funny thing is, I think we have our own versions of a multitude of people in us mm-hmm. that we can draw on. We, a lot of our behavior that's socially acceptable, we choose to behave that way. Right. No, oh, yeah, yeah. But we're, it, we're capable of behaving in kind of scuzzy ways if we, if we let ourselves. Yeah, well, clearly, clearly. I mean, you see it, you know, you see it in the Congress now, you know, like, you know, you're given license. There's no end to how horrible people can be. Uh, and, and yeah, that's true that, uh, that we do have different people. But, you know, part of civilization, uh, which I think uh, the reason that the idea of civilizations work and the idea that there are, there are, there are moral barometers of behavior is to sort of, <laughs> you know, try to keep people from, uh, you know, engaging in the worst of themselves. That reminds me of something I read in an interview I think you did with the New York Times. Mm where you said, or at least it was reported that you said, 
I'm wired to destroy myself. Yeah. So fighting that wiring is always challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. What 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 ways did you? I mean, how far does that go? Destroying yourself in what way? Well, I, I just feel like I'm a very anxious person, and and I and and I always had to sort of push through, you know, a lot of insecurity and a lot of fear to sort of you know stay you know present and stay engaged, and and I you know I think that that I'm wired to not destroy myself in you know I'm not as self-destructive with drugs or alcohol, uh, as I used to be, but I, you know, even that, you know, there was a line that, that, that I, I obviously hit a wall with that, but I just think in terms of the level of anxiety and discomfort that I have can easily kind of manifest itself as a, an overwhelming paralysis that could, you know, become, you know, depression, depression. And, uh, and I know I have that. So it, it, it's it's really trying to stay out of those cycles of thought and and to realize you know that I am a, a, an anxiety ridden person and that I do have some depression in my family and to try to you know kind of what do you do how do you how do you fight that well with anxiety it's sort of like you know it's gotten to the point where you, you know I. I dread, you know, things that are just regular everyday things. I don't know why my brain does that. But, you know, like I can wake up in the morning and just be like, oh, God, I got to go get get toilet paper. You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, and it's it's <laughs> and it's it's like at that level, you know, and like in. <laughs> I mean, I, I get, I'm anxious too, and I get anxious if I have to go in and meet a hundred people in a room. Well, that's that makes sense though. That's reasonable. I, I yeah, can't get anxious because I got to make. I a, can handle toilet paper. Right, right. I, I can handle it too, but like, I don't know why I have to operate at that intensity. Like, you know, like yeah. I have two things to do today, and yesterday I'm like, oh my god, what do I get? I'm gonna have to talk on the computer to that uh, to Alan Alda, and then I, <laughs> then I got to talk <laughs> you, to another guy did later. You, did you? Did you you really got anxious about our talk? No, too? no, it's not even. It's not about the talk. It's like I got to set the thing up. I got to put the heads. I got to. You, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not. It, it's got nothing to do. <laughs> it's the mechanics. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with anything. I'm just operate at that level. And you know, there's a lot mm. of stuff coming in. You know, culturally now. So how do you fight that? I didn't hear how you fight it. Well, I try to just stay in the present and like get it back into focus. You know, uh, you know, going to meetings helps me with that. You know, getting out of my head, talking to other people, I get relief from that. But like, I'm just why. To it, I'm not to completely wired to self-destruct, but like for a long time, you know, in my head was not a great place. I was angry. I was bitter. Uh, you know, I was entitled. I was self-pitying. And there's no room for other people. So the primary way that I remedied that was, you know, it, the medicine was really the podcast and talking to other people, getting out of myself, learning how to enjoy what other people do. And also the, the sort of from the success that came from the podcast you know, because I was at this a long time, the comedy and trying to, you know, you know, uh, do what I do and make a living at it. But the podcast changed everything for me. So so with the popularity of the podcast and now with my ability to do some of the things I always wanted to do and dreamed of doing, which I had let go of as something uh, that would never happen. You know, a, a, a self-esteem starts to happen in a genuine yeah. way. So did you when you were doing comedy before the podcast? Yeah. 
did it reflect your anger and discontent? Oh yeah, or, or, I mean, geez, yeah. I mean, so uh, so was the podcast that helped you rather than more than the comedy did? It sounds like. Well, I think that what happened with the podcast is that I was able to embrace all elements of my personality. I didn't have to be funny. I could be inquisitive. I could be intelligent. I could say things that you know weren't jokes. I could share about things that were harder to do than just jokes. And so, like you know, the people that got to know me from listening to the podcast, they really knew me to a certain level, and I felt that I was you know sort of all represented you know that that you know I was true to myself and that the that part of me I was all out there and that sort of like enabled me to go on stage with a certain amount of fearlessness and a certain amount of comfort about who I was and and and, and belief in myself which I don't think I had what do you think the do you think there's a beneficial effect from listening to a kind of conversation that, that we've been describing, that you're so good at doing, where two people are actually connecting and, may, and listening to each other, do you think that has a beneficial effect for the audience or is it just entertainment? No, I know it does. I get hundreds of emails. I get emails every day, every week. You helped me through a dark time. I thought I was alone. It's really good to hear that that person has the same problem I do. Um, you know, I was going to kill myself. And, and the thing you said the other day, you know, made me think twice about it. I mean, I get, I get heavy emails all the time uh, from people who, you know, really rely on the show, who, who, who are able to sort of engage with it in, in dark times in their own lives, who have jobs that, that isolate them and it keeps them connected and they learn things about their heroes that humanize them, which, you know, which is, is helpful to everybody in, in pursuit of their own, you know, mental well-being and perhaps career, uh, sort of, uh, dreams. So yeah, I, there's every indication over the years that the, the sort of, weird result of, of something I, I couldn't have anticipated it is that, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of people, um, really get some sort of n nourishment for their soul and mind and heart from, from what I'm doing with the, with my guests. And, and I am incredibly grateful that I can offer that. I, I, you know, and when you make contact just in a one hour conversation with somebody who we know mainly through the mask that they wear in public, but you make an interior to interior connection there's something I, I get the impression there's something a little healing about it and you're saying you get mail that confirms that it heals me and you know <laughs> I, yeah, that's good you know and the, you know you're listening through you know you, you you feel that happen i mean i feel when i'm moved by people's stories i feel tears well up i feel you know like i know when i'm feeling these things that whoever's listening to it is feeling these things you know so really i mean you know it moves through me but but also like i said earlier that this thing has saved my life it's reintegrated me with my community it's reintegrated me you know, with my ability to, to empathize and listen. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's gotten me out of my own head, uh, to, to find that, you know, I, you know, I have much in common with, with people who I thought were either above me or living in a different world than me or, or different than me. And, you know, I, if I'm experiencing that as the guy running the show, the people that are listening to it are experiencing that as well. I don't mean to draw a, uh a lesson from this in a didactic way, but it really sounds to me like you're talking about the therapeutic effect of being interested in another person, of finding in them 
something of value and interest instead of just rattling around in your own brain looking and for actually it. talking now and actually talking yeah. i think that what we've lost culturally because of you know, you know people don't even talk on the phone anymore they don't even leave a message anymore they're just going to text you or email you is that you know there was a time where a, a, a pleasant afternoon was like i'm going to go spend time with my buddy sam and We're just take the a breeze yeah, we're going to take a walk. We're going to sit in the park. We're going to have some lunch. We're going to catch up. You know, I, I'm going to, like, I used to do that when I lived in New York. I'd wander around, you know, before the internet, before cell phones. I'd stop at the bookstore. I'd talk to the guy I knew there. I'd stop at the guitar shop. I'd talk to that guy for an hour. I'd say, you know, I, obviously, I was a comic. I didn't have a real job, but I, you know, I <laughs> so you had the time. Yeah, but uh, but but I really think it's true, though. I, I think that the ability to sit down and just have a conversation about somebody with them uh, for an hour is this lost. It's not even an art. I believe it was a necessity of, of human existence was yeah. it's not even it's not even a commiseration. It's we're designed to to handle, you know, like, you know, when people like when people are in trouble or they're sad or they're bereaved or they're, you know, and like now a lot of people are terrified and anxious is that, you know, you like your brain says, like, you know, I don't, I don't got time to deal with that. But we're all equipped as humans to to carry the burdens of others, you know, and it's not that hard. You know, you just got to sit there sometimes. Sometimes. Well, it's not it's not always going to be a burden. Sometimes I remember I remember taking you you talked about taking a walk with somebody. I remember taking a walk with a friend. And things come out when you just chat and you don't yeah. even know they're going to come out. Yeah. And he heard me say something that made him think he's depressed. Right. And he told me that. Yeah. And that really helped me because I didn't realize I was depressed. Right. And I saw uh, somebody and started taking a pill for it, and I felt an awful lot better. That's amazing. See, that's true. And I think that that, like, I think that means something. And I think that's part of, like, why the show has a, an effect. It's just people talking. I mean, you know, some people are better at talking on the microphones than others, yeah. but nonetheless, you know, I think that that it, like one of the things that people feel when they listen to my show is that they're hanging out in the room. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and but you know, people ask me all the time because I talk so much about communication. They ask me, "Do you think modern texting and emailing and social media is hurting communication?" And I think now I'm going to start quoting you because the, I agree when I hear you say talking is important, it's something happens when you talk and when yeah. you listen and talk at the same time. Yeah. You're letting another person in. Yep. It's a vulnerable position. You, we, we, I'm not vulnerable to you if I text you something. I'm, it's a, it's a, a shot I'm taking at you. Right. It's, and I don't have to pay attention to your answer. But when I'm face-to-face -face, or even voice-to-voice, -voice, right. I got to... I got to respond to what you say. Right. And then That's... we have something going that can add to me or not, but I have to make myself available to some extent that I don't have to probably in an email. That's right. I think that's true. I agree with you. So that brings me, because we're almost out of time for this conversation, which I, I regret because I'd like to include a beer in this and talk mm -hmm. more with you. Maybe one time we'll, we'll, we'll if there's well, a... I'll have a soda. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. See, I, I wasn't listening that closely. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I, if, we, if I have a beer, we're both in trouble. Yeah. So the way we usually end our show, I hope it's okay with you, is I got seven quick questions. Okay. That only ask for seven quick answers. Okay. Let's see what you think. Okay, number one. What do you wish you really understood? Um, I, 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 I wish I really understood a music theory. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Okay, number two. What do you wish other people understood about you? That, uh, like, I, I'm a... Uh, uh, well, they, I think they already understand it. That, that I'm, you know, incredibly overly sensitive, and it and it takes you know a, a lot of energy, uh, you know, uh, to uh, to manage that. Okay. What's the strangest question anyone ever asked you? Um, why comedy? <laughs> why do you do it, or why does it exist? I got off stage once, and some guy came up to me and just said, "Why comedy?" <laughs> Oh, did you check what he was smoking? <laughs> what? No, he was just like, you know, because I was talking about, you know, big, heavy stuff. And, and I don't know if it was, an, I, I, you know, I don't know if it was an insult or if it was an honest question, but it, you know, it never left me. I've, I've asked it many times in my oh, life. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it turned out to be a touchstone question. Cause it really is a sure. deep question if you, if you take away any, uh, any yeah. snarkiness from it. Right. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Start talking about yourself. And so you just trade places. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is, is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy for? Yeah, I think there's a balance to it. I, I don't know if there's anyone I, that if I really put my heart to it that I couldn't feel it for, but, but, but sometimes I wonder if, if, if they deserve it and to what end is my empathizing for a monster, a positive thing about me or that person. This, this one, I think we've already answered. How do you like to deliver bad news in person on the phone or by carrier pigeon? <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to think that I have the courage to do it in person uh, as much as possible. And usually, you know, it, it's the best way. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't had to deliver too much bad news lately. So, uh, but I think in person is the best way, but it requires courage, you know. Last question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? I, I, I think, like, I, I would imagine profound betrayal of some sort. Mm. So, like, to be maybe intentionally hurtful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, thanks so much for talking with me. I really enjoy, I enjoyed the time you were supposedly interviewing me and I enjoyed this time when I was supposedly interviewing you because they were both back and forth conversations and I really appreciate that. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Alan, and good luck with the show. It's, it's wonderful to, uh, to, that you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be listening. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. 
Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. Mark's WTF podcast is one of the longstanding hits of the podcast world, and I can see why. I had a stimulating conversation with him when I was a guest on his show, and I bet all his other guests did too. If you haven't checked out the WTF podcast, you can listen and subscribe for free on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or by going to his website, WTFpod.com. Mark's website is filled with other gems, too, like his books, The Jerusalem Syndrome, My Life as a Reluctant Messiah, which is based on his solo stand-up comedy show, and his collection of essays titled Attempting Normal. And you can always find Mark on Netflix, starring in the series Glow. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Next in our series of conversations is the first of three episodes on something that affects every single one of us, the critical role of empathy in medicine. I first talk with Helen Reese, who's trained doctors to have more empathy and in the process making them better doctors. Most people choose medical professions because they want to help people. And there is an innate reward when we help people. It's been described as exquisite empathy, like that moment where what you say to a patient and where they recognize that they are really understood and being helped that the benefit is both to the patient and to the physician. Listen in as Helen Reese and I talk about the importance of a sense of trust and partnership in the doctor-patient relationship. Next time on Clear and Vivid. To listen to these conversations, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.